This is the Road Trekking Podcast with your host, Jimmy James. It's a show about my trip from Ontario to British Columbia and back in a vintage 92 camper van. And I invite you to come along for the ride. Welcome to episode three, Ignis to Kenora and everything in between. Let's start off with the trip log. Current location, Lac Lou, Ontario, a small town about 20 kilometers north of Kenora. Current GPS coordinates, I don't know. Total kilometers traveled, 2,464. And my maintenance costs, thankfully, are still sitting at $800. No problems, uh, (laughs) no further problems to this point. At the end of my last episode, I was parked in a overlook of the small town of Ignis, uh, also looking at a mudslide. Got a good rest, felt great, and uh, woke up in the morning ready to go. It had rained the night before and everything had cooled off, which was nice. And when I opened up the curtains in the van, I noticed that actually other campers had come and stayed the night in the same place, which speaks to something that, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. And that's that in Northern Ontario, there are very few places to be able to park for the night. So I think any of these like lookouts, picnic areas, snowplow turnarounds, they get populated by a bunch of people who are in the same position that I am. I mean, you're driving on the road for hours and there's nowhere to stop. So nonetheless, I got everything packed up, had my cup of coffee and set out on the road. I headed uh, northwest on Highway 17 towards my eventual turnoff, which was the 105, heading up to um, Lac Sewell. This is interesting country. You're driving along a road and it's very sparsely populated. I think the only town really of any significance that I passed through, and I don't mean significance to demean any of the other small towns. I just mean where I could find gas and food, etc., is Dryden, Ontario. Um, but you're, you're basically weaving through these ancient hills with big pine trees and birch trees on either side. And it seems just like you're driving and driving for hours without really seeing anything any different. Um, I continued along highway 17 and i ended up stopping in a rest area now it was strange because i just pulled into this rest area to grab a bite to eat but coincidentally this rest area contains something called rally falls and strangely there were no kind of attraction signs or anything for this but I, I pulled in and all of a sudden I'm driving up this road and then I do see a little sign, you know, uh, Rally Falls Lookout. So I got out of the van and I took a look and this is a really nice waterfall. I mean, the, the water is cascading over the top of these rocks, bashing on the bottom. There's a little lookout platform. Now, strangely enough, uh, the waterfall, the water flow is headed north. And to me, that's very interesting because I know that... Um, when you are in a certain latitude, all, all rivers flow south. So it must have had something to do with the unique geography of the land that has this river running in a northerly direction as opposed to running south or southwest. Um, anyway, this is an absolutely beautiful spot to have lunch or spend an afternoon just looking at the waterfalls and kind of chilling out. 
I continued along Highway 17 and eventually got to what's called Aaron Provincial Park. Now, it's the only provincial park I had seen in quite some time, so I stopped in to take a little look around. It doesn't really seem centered around any particular wonder. Uh, a lot of times, provincial and national parks have some sort of unique ecological significance, or they're around some sort of, uh, I guess, a, a natural wonder, something that you could go and look at. This didn't seem to be the case here, but I did take a little tour around the park. It was quite nice, and I stopped in at the park showers and, and grabbed a shower. I figured there's no harm there. They were coin-operated, so I paid uh, a couple of bucks, got cleaned up, and set, set on the road again. And as I continue along Highway 17, the landscape begins to be dominated uh, more by little streams and rivers and lakes on either side. And as a fisherman, I, I just had to stop and take a couple of casts at each one. So I really took my time in doing that. Um, I didn't get any fish, though. But uh, I, I like just sitting on the shore and, and looking at the water, taking a few casts. I did actually meet some other people that were fishing, and they told me they weren't having any luck either. So anyway, I continued along until I passed the town of Dryden, and I hung a right onto the 105, where you're basically heading up the west shore of Lac Sewell. Eventually, uh, you still continue to cross little rivers and streams. And again, I was just stopping at each one, marveling at the beautiful waters and taking a few casts. Um, and again, you're just weaving through pine trees. But it started to become really apparent that this particular area, this particular highway is devoted uh, to American tourism. There are tons of lodges and, and signs for camps. Uh, many of them bear a, a Canadian and American flag side by side. And you just continue up this road. And there's literally hundreds of little lakes that are just waiting to be explored and fished. And I'm sure at one time, probably before the pandemic, this area was absolutely booming with American tourists up here uh, fishing and enjoying all these Canadian waters. But that wasn't the case uh, at this time for whatever reason, and I think it probably has to do with ongoing border restrictions, this highway was like a ghost highway. I'm literally just driving up this road, no cars in front of me, no cars behind me, and I'm taking my time. I'm stopping, I'm looking at little lakes. I, I might've been passed by a vehicle or two, but that's about it. And I was really shocked by the lack of traffic and the, and the lack of people in this particular area. Eventually, I arrived at the public access point for Lac Sewell, which is quite a well-maintained boat ramp, um, and it does have a couple of little ad hoc campsites and no overnight uh, parking signs, nothing like that. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to stay the night here, and uh, I can use the time to explore the area, use it as a base camp, that sort of thing. So I parked my van, it was getting late in the evening, I made some supper, and I decided I would just try and take some casts from shore. Now, here's one of the things, when you're fishing from shore, it presents some unique challenges, in that especially you cannot get out into where the water is deep. Now, generally you would fish for walleye. That's the, the main fish of choice in this area. You would fish for walleye with like a jig, 
but you just can't cast a quarter ounce jig that far. So I threw on a, um, a casting spoon, which is basically just like a, a spoon for fishing with a treble hook on it, but it's, it's heavy. And uh, with my fishing rod, I was able to really launch that out into the water. Um, I took a few casts and like within like three or four casts, bang, I caught a walleye. Um, I brought it in. It was a good fight. Took some pictures. It had to be about four pounds, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, this lake has got to be absolutely full of them. So uh, I put that one back. That was kind of a sign back to the to the fish gods or the, the god of Lake Lassoul, you know, thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I might think about keeping any other fish I, I take, but generally as a rule of thumb, I always put the first one back. And uh, that's just my own personal homage to, to, to wherever I am, especially if it's in a new place. So I continued fishing and I actually caught a few more fish. And uh, I really enjoyed just being able to sit on the shore and do that. If I look across the bay, I could see that there was a really well-maintained and manicured lodge, and it was flying two huge flag masts, one with the Canadian flag and one with the American flag. Again, sort of reinforcing the idea that this place is used a lot by Americans who are crossing the borders to enjoy our, our fishing opportunities. But the strange thing was there were very few people at the lodge. And in fact, there was nobody at the boat ramp. And the whole time that I stayed there, nobody ever came to the boat ramp. And I stayed there a couple of days. Um, it was kind of like being in like the walking dead or something. It was like it, nobody was around. There, there was no population. I saw like the odd boat kind of come and go. And I could uh, see people come down to the dock um, at the lodge across the lake, you know, at the end of the day and back up. But it would be like, I think this lodge probably could have accommodated like 50 or 100 people. And I think maybe I saw a half dozen. So that really speaks to how border restrictions and, and the pandemic and everything has affected the economies in these area and affected the tourism. One of the things I did do was I took a look at some of the price guides for the local lodges because after my fishing partner left with the boat, um, I was basically stuck fishing from shore. I, I looked up the prices, but I think either they're trying to recoup the costs that they've lost during the pandemic or they're set more likely. They're just set on pricing for Americans because the Canadian dollar is much lower and American money goes much further. So to rent an aluminum boat, uh, just like a tin boat with a motor, is going to run about $150 a day plus gas. And uh, I, I wasn't willing to do that. So I stayed and I, I fished from shore. I caught lots of fish. That night, um, I actually pulled out my little inverter generator, started it up and got power to the van, helped charge up my batteries. Um, I had an opportunity to use some of the stuff that I brought along with me. And I, I'd like to talk about that for a moment. One of the items I brought along with me on my trip is called a, a Coglins folding camp saw. Now, I bought this years ago. I've actually never used it, but I thought it might be something when I'm backpacking or camping in the bush that I could use. Over the years, I've used like different sort of saw ideas. Uh, I had something called like a silky, 
it was uh, that's the manufacturer folding saw which looks like just like a great big folding knife except maybe it's about i don't know eight or ten inches long and you can use that to cut up brush um I, I also had something called a bolo saw which was like a a toothed imagine almost like a bicycle chain um except with teeth and you would wrap it around a log it had two handles and a swish 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 and work your way through it um, this was my first time ever trying out this this folding camp saw and it worked amazing it it all folds down into a small package and don't get me wrong i don't get any money there's no i'm endorsing products that i think are really good so you take this saw out it's all folded down you turn it into basically what becomes like a, a hand saw and you, it really can rip through the wood so that was number one i was able to find some dry wood and cut it into usable sections using that saw then the second thing I did was I brought a small hatchet. Now, normally I would carry a large axe with me when I'm camping, um, especially if I'm car camping or something like that. But because space is limited in the van and I'm packed for such a large trip, it wasn't practical to bring a big axe. So I did bring a small hatchet and I had a hammer because I would use the hammer, you know, a hammer can come in handy for a number of things on the road. And I used the hatchet, you know, into the wood, hammered the back of it. And within like literally 20 minutes, I was able to cut and split enough wood for like a really nice fire. So I got the fire going, the fire's crackling away. Uh, my little inverter generator is behind the van and it's idling. And this is something that's really cool about these inverter generators. I know they're a lot more money than a standard generator, but uh, this particular one is like a little suitcase, first of all. And secondly, you can put it on something called eco mode, where when the generator isn't, or sorry, when the van isn't consuming much power, the generator just idles right down. So it's just like, put, 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 And it's also, I'm assuming, using way less fuel. Um, I could barely hear the generator. The generator is behind the van. I'm in front of it facing the water. I could barely hear the generator running. So I'm sitting around the campfire and I'm just kind of enjoying the sights and it starts to spit rain. Um, I, I endured it for a bit outside, but the rain got stronger and stronger. So eventually I ended up having to turn off the generator and head into the van for the night, which was fine because it was getting dark anyway. Something uh, also interesting to note about this area is my fishing partner had said, you know, there's way too many bugs. I did not put any insect repellent on at all. I didn't need it. If you walked into the deep bush, of course, there's going to be mosquitoes and black flies and horse flies getting you. But when you're near the water's edge, it seemed like the breeze was just keeping the bugs away. So I didn't have any problem with bugs at all. And it was just absolutely beautiful. So I watched the sunset uh, through the uh, drizzling rain and decided I was going to explore the area a little bit the next day. I had a great sleep. I slept amazing. It was cool. Um, just absolutely perfect. The next morning I woke up and I decided I was going to try a few more casts, which I did. Um, I caught a huge bass. I don't, I don't think bass are in season, uh, at this time of year here. So anyway, I put it back and I'm not interested in keeping or eating bass anyway. And I figured, you know what, it's a good time. Let's take a road trip. And I decided I was going to continue to head north on the 105 up to the small town called Ear Falls. When I arrived in town, um, I was shocked by what I saw. Now, th there were really two things that shocked me. 
One, the town has an absolutely gorgeous little park. And in this park, there's like an airplane on a pedestal. There's all these old tractors. There's this fountain shooting water, you know, hundreds of feet into the air. And there's even a rocket. And this is kind of weird. The rocket on the side of the rocket, it was marked USA. Uh, again, which speaks to the American uh, flavor of tourism that's going on here. But the other shocking thing, um, besides having a beautiful park in a little town in the middle of nowhere, is that the town seemed to be closed down. Uh, there was a restaurant in town I stopped in. It was closed. Um, it said, like, you know, open Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays or something. Like, it was some crazy... I, I don't remember. Don't Don't quote me on that. But it was almost like... All of these businesses just just couldn't make a living off the amount of tourism that was going on. So they were just very, very limited hours. Um, the town itself, I mean, there were some people walking around and stuff like that. But it, it definitely seemed like a town in the off-peak, uh, like a tourist town in the off-peak season. Uh, and definitely not during, you know, prime, prime fishing which was really interesting. Uh, my suggestions to any of those businesses would be if they were to be able to adjust the pricing to make it affordable for Canadians. I mean, like, let's not forget, this is about an 18-hour drive uh, from where I started in Peterborough. So it, it's quite a trek to get up there. If they made the pricing more affordable uh, for Canadian people to use the, the facilities, I think they would have a lot more business because there's tons of Canadians. I mean, I, I could see the number of RVs on the highway. It's just nobody was going up this road because I think it's completely geared towards American tourism. So once I had discovered that I couldn't get any food in town, I turned around and headed back down the 105 and uh, went into some of the various roads that went to these camps. And there's really beautiful little camps on this side of the lake. Um, I didn't really stop or talk to anybody, but I just took a look for future scouting purposes. And yeah, they, they have really nice facilities and it's definitely set up for fishermen. So that's going to be something in the future that I'm going to want to check out. I headed back down to the public launch and I spent the evening there just fishing and enjoying the water, uh, watching the odd boat come and go. And I caught a few more fish too, which was really nice. Um, it had rained that morning and it was quite cool out. I decided I wasn't going to make a campfire. I was going to kind of hang out in the van and do some, uh, kind of preventative maintenance work, check my oil, check all my stuff and make sure I was good to go. And by the time I was done there, it was sort of supper time and, and getting ready to, to go to bed. So I laid down for the night again, had a great sleep in the cool evening. And then I headed back down the 105, uh, towards the 17 where I could start heading for uh, Kenora. Now, again, on the 17 from that 105, the, the landscape is marked by just pine trees, birch trees, little lakes and rivers. It's, it's literally an outdoorsman's paradise. I stopped, you know, every little opportunity I could find, took a few casts, um, made myself lunch, just relaxed and then took my time. And eventually I did get into the town of Kenora. Now, Kenora is a really interesting place. It's a rather small town that's situated on the Lake of the Woods, which is another lake that is absolutely huge and known for fishing. 
Um, I wasn't going to spend much time in Kenora exploring it today, um, but I did stop off uh, to pick up some beer and that before I headed north to where I was going to stay for the night. Uh, I saw something really interesting and um, it seemed to be a theme for a lot of these northern Ontario communities. And that's the level of poverty and the level of drug abuse. Uh, I pulled into the LCBO, that's the um, Ontario Liquor Store parking lot, and there was what appeared to be a man who was overdosing on some kind of drug. His friend was actually smacking him in the face, being like, wake up, wake up, and this, this guy wouldn't get up. Uh, I went into the liquor store and I, I spoke with the lady behind the counter. I said, you know, can I get some water or something? Like there's somebody outside. They don't look well. They obviously need to get some water. She said, oh, we don't have any water. And I said, well, certainly you have water in a tap. Like, do you have a cup? Do you have any? I'll go get. No, no, no. I, we're, we don't give them any water. That that was the attitude. And um, that, re that really hurt my heart. I know that... Uh, a lot of these communities can become desensitized to poverty and they can become desensitized to drug use. But at the same time, I mean, my heart goes out to every single human being and wherever they're from and what, whatever their circumstances are, certainly if you're in that position um, and somebody's willing to try to help you, uh, others should help facilitate that. I, I was absolutely blown away um, by the level of just... Uh, apathetic ignorance, I guess, would be the way to describe it. Anyway, so I, uh, I, I picked up my beer, and by the time I got out, there was a group of people surrounding this man, so I figured that he was in good hands. And I took off north um, towards the town of Lac Lule, where uh, I was going to be staying for the night. Um, I had, uh, I, I drove again through this countryside, lakes everywhere, absolutely beautiful. And I finally arrived at, uh, what they call the ranch, which is a property that is owned by a gentleman named Don and his wife, Rita, and they host people, uh, camping for the evening. When I arrived, um, Don was in the driveway with his son and they were working on the headlights for his truck. So I, me being pretty technical and doing lots of work on the van and cars and stuff like that, uh, you know, I came up, said hi, checked in, let them know who I was. And then I ended up basically spending the evening drinking beers with them and working on this truck. And thankfully we were able to get all the headlights together. Headlights are really important uh, in this area. I mean, there's everything from deer to moose. There's there's cougars. You're going to learn about that later. Um, there's all kinds of wildlife on the roads, especially at night. So having good headlights is critically important if you're going to be driving at night. Anyway, uh, Don and I hit it off and we spent the night talking about his experiences living there. And he owned several businesses over the years and he was a pilot, had all kinds of interesting stories about Northern Ontario. And some of that is contained in my upcoming interview with Don where we, we talk about that. Uh, Don and I, <laughs> admittedly, we stayed up late uh, talking because, like I said, we hit it off. Um, so the next morning was sort of a late start for me. But uh, I decided to head out and go check out what was going on in town. So I spent the bulk of the morning basically just driving around the town, getting my bearings. And again, just witnessing uh, northern poverty, just people all over the place um, that didn't look like they were doing very well. 
I did try to stop at this famous landmark called Husky the Muskie, which is, I don't know if it's the world's largest muskie or whatever, but it, it is sort of one of these attractions in town that people would stop at. What's interesting is that the water levels in this area were so high that the sidewalks, um, some of the sidewalks in town, the sidewalk leading down to Husky the Muskie, they were actually flooded with water and closed off. Uh, I did make it to see the fish. Uh, it is not painted like a muskie. And I was told they spent like millions of dollars painting this. It looks like some weird jackalope version of a pike in them. I don't know. I've seen lots of fish. So I've never seen one that looks like this. But anyway, um, and there were people there taking pictures and we chatted for a bit. And I just headed out to cruise around the downtown. Um, I didn't really feel attracted to any part of the downtown area of this city. They did have a, a cruise that would go out in the evening and could, could serve, I think they serve you dinner or something like that. And you go out on Lake of the Woods. Uh, I, I, I'm not really into the touristy stuff, so I stayed away from that. Um, but I did uh, stop in at a local tackle shop. And again, this speaks to the, the poverty and the homelessness. Um, and I keep having to go over, but I, I see example and ex after example of it, I pull into the parking lot for this tackle shop and somebody who's obviously um, struggling with some mental disabilities is just screaming, you know, to the gods, you know, F you this, blah, blah. he's talking to somebody in his head and he, he's walking down this plaza and he's literally grabbing, you know, there's, there's these little planters, um, that have flowers and stuff in them. And he's just grabbing everyone and smashing it. And, and people had sandwich, sandwich board signs out front of their shops and he's kicking them and he's kicking cars. He's screaming and he just storms past and the, the, some of the shop owners came out after all this commotion and they said, oh, this guy, he was all, he was on drugs earlier and he was laying in the middle of the road and they didn't, you know, nobody knew what was going on, but the overwhelming sentiment as opposed to being sort of sympathy or, uh, kindness was like, we don't want these people here. You know, we need this issue fixed, which to some extent, if you're a business owner and then this is happening to you is understandable, but also it speaks to the fact that this is so common that the, uh, local population has become completely desensitized to it. After that particularly traumatizing experience, I decided to head back to Don's place. And uh, when I got there, Don was away for the evening uh, doing some work. So I went down by the lake. He's on the water, this really, really beautiful lake. And uh, I just sort of sat there and just kind of decompressed and put my thoughts together about what I had seen in the day. It also became apparent that his water level was extremely high too. In fact, I'm looking out into the water and I'm seeing his lawn and uh, his wife informed me that actually the, I could see trees, like maybe, I don't know, a hundred feet out that that was actually a point that they owned and you could go out to the point and cast and fish. Um, but now that was completely submerged. Um, they had some park benches and a table sitting down there and the water was halfway up to them. So there's something going on with the control of water. And it was my understanding that the, the dam system that basically flows, um, I think into the Winnipeg river or from the Winnipeg river, something like that. 
uh, it wasn't able to control for the amount of snowfall they got this year. Apparently they got like record high snowfalls, which is very much different from where I live. We didn't get much snow. And it's kind of interesting to note that even within the same province, there's big time regional differences in how much precipitation, how much snow you get during the winter months. The next day, I decided I was going to try to fish some of the little areas off the beaten path in Lake of the Woods. Uh, you can access Lake of the Woods right from downtown Kenora. I wasn't particularly comfortable uh, hanging around there considering what I had seen. So I found some other spots that were sort of out of the way and I fished. I, I didn't catch anything, but it was very beautiful. Lots of boats going by, um, lots of people, but not a lot of American license plates in town, mostly Canadians. Um, I, I, I fished and fished. I tried a few different spots. I even went to a marina and it was so, it was such a strange sight. The water level is so high that the docks at this marina that would hold the boats generally, um, you know, so, okay. Picture a dock would be, you'd have land, then there's like a ramp that goes up and then the dock is sitting or floating out in the water where boats are tied up. Okay. That ramp that would lead to the land was about a hundred feet out in water that was like at least knee high, maybe more, maybe waist deep. So I, I don't even understand. There were boats tied to these docks. Like how did the people, like, would they put on waders or like swim out to get to their boat? I don't know. Um, I met a gentleman who was also down there taking a look at this and he said it's like the highest water level they've had in, in so many years, like 10 years or 15 years or something like that. So I find it really surprising that with these series of dams that they're not able to keep up for, like, we're not talking about like a one in a hundred year flood, right? This wasn't like record snowfall for the century. This was just like a year of heavy snowfall. And my understanding is that, you know, every, every five, every 10 years this happens. And this is just, they've accepted this as a fact of life. It also seems to mess up the fishing because, uh, with the water level being so high, all the, the structure, um, all the places, at least from shore that you could cast are that much further out into the, into the lake. And I think that's why I was having a hard time getting anything from shore here. Um, it, it seems like with the really high water level, uh, the fish would not be in the same places that they normally would be. And if they were, it's much harder to access them. I stayed at the ranch again that night and the next morning uh, I was able to interview Don, which is really interesting. Uh, you can listen to that in the next episode. And I headed out towards my next destination, which was Birds Hill Park, uh, just a little bit northeast of Winnipeg. So um, that's it for kind of the story to this point. Uh, in terms of lessons learned and things that I encountered, um, one, uh, the roads in this part of Ontario have vast stretches of lakes, rivers, streams, uh, trees, wildlife, not a lot of places to stop if you have a problem. In fact, uh, between Thunder Bay and Kenora, besides that small town of Dryden, there's very, very little if you were to run into any problems. So uh, definitely bring like extra coolant, extra windshield washer fluid, some extra oil. Um, I'm always trying to check those things in my van to make sure that I'm going to be safe for the next day's drive. Uh, secondly, the surprising thing is just the overall level of poverty in these northern towns. I can't believe it. Um, 
I live in a somewhat rural community outside of Peterborough, Ontario, and we don't have anywhere near the level of poverty. In fact, Peterborough has a, a re relatively large, uh, I guess what's considered large by the local people, um, homeless population, but uh, it, it does not compare to what I'm seeing in these northern towns. Uh, you drive by houses that literally don't have siding. There's just Tyvek on the sides of them. Um, you see people in the streets who are clearly uh, on drugs or affected uh, mentally by something. And my heart really goes out to those people. And I hope that the province is able to recognize that this is an ongoing problem and they're able to uh, do some measures to try to correct it. Because I don't think that's fair for the people, um, the people that are experiencing the poverty. And I also don't think that it's particularly pleasant for the people who live in those communities who feel like they can't do anything about it. My third insight uh, is that these areas are so completely reliant on American tourism that the border restrictions have basically crushed the local economies. Um, earlier in the episode, I described my experience at the uh, public boat launch and going up 105 as like an episode from The Walking Dead. I'm not kidding about that. There were very, very few vehicles. I stayed a couple nights at that boat launch. I didn't see a single person. And that is the only public launch that I'm aware of. I didn't see a single person come and launch their boat. Nobody is around. Nobody is up there. The restaurants, they're closed. They're closed like four days a week or something. Like, what, what good is that? And, and if you don't know what days they are, which obviously you wouldn't if you're coming up there, you're out of luck. Um, I feel bad for the local businesses because they were obviously reliant on tourist dollars and those tourist dollars aren't coming in. And I'm sure they haven't come in for a few years now. So it's going to require revised strategy on their part, uh, not just a return of the American tourist, but a strategy whereby they can attract Canadians because the landscape is absolutely beautiful and the fishing is good. Like if I'm catching walleye and bass from shore, can you imagine how good it would be in a boat? I, I can't. Um, the next time I come, I'm definitely bringing a boat of my own and I'm going to spend a week or two exploring uh, some of those lakes because they are absolutely amazing. When my final observation would be that some of the people that you meet in these areas are so extraordinarily kind. There seems to be something about living in remote communities that really brings out the best in people. Um, staying with Don and Rita was fantastic and they're able to balance, you know, careers, jobs, having great families, but living in essentially the wilderness, living, uh, you know, far away from any major town, even Kenora itself, uh, although that would be sort of considered the major town in the area, is relatively small by any town's standards. And it's just that these people, and I'm sure they endure hard winters and uh, insect bug-bitten filled summers, have the kindest, warmest hearts that you could ever encounter. So I'm very thankful to them. Okay, well, that's it for this episode. Um, you can find me, of course, on Instagram at roadtrekkin, 
all one word, R-O-A-D-T-R-E-K-K-I-N underscore podcast. That's where you can see some of the photos and videos from my trip. And of course, I would ask that you like, subscribe, and hit the notification icon on your podcast app of preference. Uh, That helps a lot. And finally, I'd like to remind you all to be kind to one another and keep on road trekking. Bye.